Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City has stripped its founding leader, Mike Bickle, of his duties pending a formal investigation into allegations of clergy sexual abuse. We'll have some details. Also, Bible publishers, are they stewards of God's Word or profiteers? We'll take a closer look. Then later in the program, church hoppers share the reasons behind their congregational changes. We begin today with news that pastor and author Scott Sauls has resigned from leadership at his Nashville megachurch. Scott Sauls has led Christ Presbyterian Church for the past decade, but he was placed on indefinite leave back in May after apologizing for an unhealthy leadership style there. This past Sunday, uh, Scott Sauls uh, told members of the church that he wanted to resign, and the church members voted to accept his resignation. Uh, they did so at the request of church leaders. Sauls addressed the congregation, and he apologized to those he hurt. He said that he and his family would continue to serve Jesus. He also told the congregation that the most merciful thing to do at this point was to step aside so the church can seek new leadership and so he and his family can seek the Lord's will on whatever comes next for them. Now, Saul's tenure at the church began with great promise and was marked by growth, wasn't it? Well, it was. Uh, Saul's was known as a protege of the late Tim Keller, and he promoted a Christianity marked by kindness and grace rather than by culture war politics. In fact, he even wrote books on the topic with titles like A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon, and An Age of Us Against Them, another book called Befriend, and one called Irresistible Faith. But Sauls admitted earlier this year that he had been harsh with church staff and used the power of the pulpit as a weapon against those who disagreed with him. So, Warren, what happens next? Well, according to the Book of Church Order of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, which is his denomination, the end of Saul's tenure at Christ Presbyterian has to be approved by the PCA's Nashville Presbytery, which is the regional body that oversees pastors. The Presbytery is the group that suspended uh, uh, Saul's back in May over his initial confession, but uh, no news yet of if or when they plan to address his resignation. Sauls reportedly told the congregation that the Presbytery Committee had planned to lift his suspension and that it was his decision to resign. Sauls said this, It's been an honor serving this community. We're going to miss you. We wish you the best, and we love you. Warren, our next story is an update from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. That's right. IHOP KC, or IHOP Kansas City, has asked its founding leader, Mike Bickle, to step away from his duties while it investigates allegations of sexual abuse. In October, the church announced that it had found the allegations against Bickle to be both credible and longstanding. At that point, Bickle had agreed not to preach at IHOP KC or to post to social media. Now, the ministry says that he will step away from public ministry indefinitely, pending a formal uh, investigation. 
IHOP KC originally said they had retained a national law firm, Stinson LLP, to conduct the investigation, but critics pushed back on that pretty hard. Yeah, they did. Even though Stinson LLP is a well-known national firm, the concern was that hiring Stinson was more of a defense move to protect IHOP KC from liability than it was to actually conduct a transparent and unbiased investigation. A group of IHOP KC survivors started a petition on change.org asking the ministry to invite GRACE, which stands for Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environments, to do the investigation instead. So IHOP KC switched gears. It did. Uh, Last week, they released another statement saying that they had decided not to continue with Stinson and instead hired a local Kansas City law firm to conduct interviews with victims, but they didn't name the firm. IHOP KC was founded back in 1999 by Mike Bickle after he broke away from the Vineyard Church movement following conflicts that he had with those leaders. Uh, IHOP KC operates a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer room. We've written on IHOP KC in the past. They've had a number of unusual, sometimes say controversial um, events happen at the uh, ministry over the years. Bickle's theology emphasizes fasting, prophetic experiences, and end times studies, and is associated with the new apostolic reformation movement. Warren, let's look at one more story before our break. A Virginia Beach judge has sentenced a church accountant to 10 years for stealing over $175,000 from the church he worked for. In July, Andrew Landsperger, who is 46 years old, pleaded guilty to embezzlement and credit card fraud at Galilee Episcopal Church, where he had worked as an accountant. From April 22 to July of 22, Landsperger reportedly spent almost $35,000 on Amazon using the church's credit card and gave him a raise totaling almost uh, $135,000 in overpayments. Landsberger also stole from the offering plate. Well, yeah, apparently he did. He started handling the collections plate himself, which is never a great idea. Uh, The church regularly received about $450 a week. After he took over the collections, the church was reporting only about $200 a week in giving. After the church fired Landsperger, giving went immediately back up to $450 a week. So the church estimates that it lost about $7,000 in donations during that period. In October, the judge sentenced Landsberger to 10 years in prison, which exceeds the high end of the state's sentencing guidelines, which recommends a sentence of no greater than four years in two months. Landsberger was also ordered to pay back about $100,000 to the insurance company. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we take a look at the third quarter earnings of a key player in the Christian broadcasting world. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a 
a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Our next story involves one of the largest Christian media companies in the nation. Broadcasting giant Salem Media Group, uh, one of the few publicly traded companies in the Christian media marketplace, released its third quarter earnings for 2023 on Monday, and it reported $63.5 million in revenue, which was a decrease of about 5% uh, from the year before. As of September, Salem Media had uh, about $471 million in total assets, but it also had $339 million in liabilities, mostly debt, on its balance sheet. It also reported an operating loss of almost $45 million, and that was a big flip because they had an actual profit the year before of $3.5 million. On Tuesday, uh, the company's stock was down 21%, trading at about 60 cents a share. Well, up next is the story of a high-profile ministry leader doing work in Israel. Yeah, his name is Victor Marks, and he's the former member of the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, and he spent uh, his subsequent years after leaving the Corps uh, placing himself in harm's way, he says, to reach and restore victims of trauma with an organization called All Things Possible, or ATP Ministries. Marks himself has a pretty dramatic story. He does. Uh, Marks was a victim of trauma himself as a child, uh, abused by, at the hands of multiple stepfathers. He says in a video testimony that he endured such torture as being hot, tied to a bed and being dunked in a bathtub until he passed out. But he went on to say this, I thank God that he kept me alive to not only be able to tell my story in a way that's redemptive, but also to give other people hope, including children both here and in the U.S. and around the world. Now he reports conducting missions in the Middle East in places like Syria and Iraq to help orphans and widows. For example, in an Instagram post on October 12, Marks appeared with his wife Eileen saying that they had received an invitation to go to Israel. And he went on to say, this is typical of our ministry. We go into places where chaos and bad things are happening in order to help. Both of them, both uh, Marks and his wife Eileen admitted that they did not want to go on the mission when they first learned of the opportunity, but that they felt that the Lord had told them to bring comfort to those who mourn. They expected uh, to deliver about 1,200 lion and lamb trauma healing toys for children on this trip. ATP claims that it has delivered more than 65,000 such toys to children worldwide. Well, all of this sounds great. So why is Ministry Watch taking a look at this ministry? 
Well, for one thing, the organization doubled in revenue between 2020 and 2021. It went from $3.4 million to $7 million in a single year. It also more than doubled its fundraising expenses during that period, now spends about $830,000 on fundraising, or well over 10% of its annual revenue. Further, Ministry Watch reached out multiple times to ATP for an interview to try to get answers um, to some of our questions about its mission, its impact, its growth, uh, how it's able to confirm, you know, that it's helping people in some of the uh, more dangerous conflict zones in the world, uh, who it partners with on the ground, and how they vet these potential partners. But we've received no answers from them. Uh, in the Ministry Watch database, with God, all things are possible, which is the sort of official name of the ministry. It receives only a one-star financial efficiency rating, which is our lowest financial efficiency score. So for all these reasons, we wanted to shine a spotlight on the group so that donors could do some additional research and ask some maybe hard questions before they gave. Well, let's look at one more story before we take another break. What do you have for us? Well, we have results of a new survey that attempts to demystify why people change churches. I should begin by saying that there's a popular narrative that people change churches frequently, uh, that there are a lot of church hoppers in the evangelical world, and that there are some pastors who are sometimes called sheep stealers, that they intentionally or subliminally offer messages or programs that are designed to appeal to disaffected members of other nearby churches. But this new survey says that's mostly not true. Yeah, mostly not true is exactly right. Uh, The study was done by LifeWay Research, and it found that church hopping is actually fairly rare, not that common at all. 47% of regular church goers say that they have attended only one church in their entire adult lives, and 63% say that they've regularly attended only two or three churches as an adult. And the number one reason by a wide margin that people change is not because they're disaffected, but because they were moved into another house or in some cases, another city. Scott McConnell is the executive director of LifeWay Research. What did he have to say about this new information? Well, he said that the reason pastors and churchgoers talk about church switchers is because it's not a negligible number of people changing churches. In fact, according to the survey, it was somewhere around 20 to 25 percent that were in some of those other categories that change churches more often. However, he said chronic church switching is not the norm. The biggest group of churchgoers are those who have been at the same church throughout their adult, adult lives, and the biggest group for those who change Changed churches uh, changed because it was necessitated by a move that took them too far away from their earlier church. Now, by the way, uh, Natasha, I want to mention that even though I've given you some of the sort of top line findings of this survey, it's a pretty rich uh, survey. And I think that our team here at Ministry Watch did a great job of including a lot of illustrations and charts that help tell the story. So if you're a data geek like I am, I really recommend that you uh, go to our website and check out that article. It's right on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. That's ministrywatch.com. Well, Warren, we're going to take another quick break here. When we return, our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database Uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So today, let's start with Christina Darnell's highlight of ministries making a difference. The first ministry she highlighted is Kankakee First Church of the Nazarene, which is in Illinois. It hosted a community outreach uh, through its men's basketball league. Uh, what started as an open gym idea back in the spring of 2021, while we were still in COVID, has grown to a league with 12 teams and 120 players that range from age 18 all the way up to age 53. And I also wanted to mention Trail Life USA. Uh, we've talked about Trail Life a good bit on the program in the in years past, but they just keep reaching milestones. Um, Trail Life began in 2014 as a sort of a Christian alternative to the Boy Scouts of America. It now has grown from 500 troops and 10,000 members to 50,000 active members uh, in 1,200 affiliated churches in all 50 states. By the way, um, Trail Life has a uh, an A transparency grade from Ministry Watch and a donor confidence score of 87. It does have a low um, uh, financial efficiency rating, but that's because it owns a camp. It was given a camp, so it has all these assets that uh, it's still trying to figure out quite what to do with. Are there any other ministries you wanted to highlight? Yeah, a couple of others. Uh, we're starting to do more work here at Ministry Watch on prison ministries, uh, and uh, we've highlighted this week Crossroads Prison Ministries. Uh, it's encouraging Christians to serve as pen pal type mentors to prisoners uh, by walking through uh, Crossroads Bible studies with them. Now, the ministry is geared well towards introverts or those in certain life seasons, uh, I should add, so that, uh, you know, anybody that maybe is not uh, comfortable actually going into the prison and interacting face-to-face could, uh, you know, work in a pen pal basis with uh, folks who are incarcerated. Crossroads has three stars in our financial efficiency rating, an A transparency grade and a donor confidence score of 74. And, uh, you know, we often focus on big ministries here at Ministry Watch, but I wanted to mention Aberdeen First Assembly of God in Aberdeen, South Dakota. It hosted a rescue escape room to raise money and awareness about human trafficking. Uh, The funds raised will go to support Project Rescue's Village Project, which is working to break the cycle of sex slavery in South Asia by providing education, vocational training, and performing medical and home repair outreaches and and has plans to build a safe house for girls. 
Orin, over the past few years, you've written a lot about the Bible translation industry. And there's a new article on the site this week that looks at the issue involved in a new way. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's an article that I saw on the website Selling Jesus that uh, we've partnered with the folks who uh, run that site, and uh, they've allowed us to reprint that article on our site. It's a fairly technical topic, but one that has enormous implications in the Bible translation world. It's an article about copyrights and open sourcing. Why is that topic so important? Well, because a lot of people probably don't realize that a Many Bible translations and many of the Bible translation tools, manuals, lexicons, that type of material that Bible translators use out in the field are actually copyrighted materials. You can't use them without paying a royalty or a licensing fee. These fees and the time that it takes to get permission to use these materials often significantly drive up the cost of Bible translation. But there is a movement within the Bible translation world that's advocating for what's called open sourcing. Uh, People in this movement, like Andrew Case, who I've had on the podcast before, and Tim Jor, who works for a ministry called Unfolding Word, who I've also had on the podcast, are advocating for making all of these materials license-free, royalty-free, copyright-free. Is this movement having any success? Well, it is, and this week's article talks about some of those successes and why this is important. The article is long with a lot of charts and illustrations, so I can't fully describe it here, but if you are a donor to ministries involved in Bible translation, such as Wycliffe Bible Translators, and I know a lot of our listeners probably are, you should definitely read this article. And you should question the ministries you give to, to make sure that they are getting on the open source bandwagon. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, I do want to mention to our listeners that we are in the most critical time of the year for Christian ministries generally, but also, of course, for Ministry Watch when it comes to fundraising. Here at Ministry Watch, we need to raise about a quarter of our budget, more than $100,000 before the end of the year. And we need to raise about $40,000 in this month alone. Now, we've got Giving Tuesday coming up on the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. That's November 28. And I hope those of you who are listening to this will prayerfully consider making a gift to us on that day. Uh, But even if you don't give to us, um, Ministry Watch is not alone. Some ministries raise as much as 40% of their annual budgets in these final two months of the year. And if you'd like to help us with our uh, year-end goals, you can go to Ministry Watch But whether you give to us or not, we hope that you will use our database to help you make giving decisions. I just add, Natasha, that I got an email from someone just today, just morning, uh, who was thanking me for our database and how it helped him redeploy uh, some of their year-end giving. So that's exactly what we love to hear, and we hope that you'll use the database, too, to give wisely and generously during this year-end season. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetania, Kim Roberts, Jessica Ederalde, Shannon Cuthrill, John Heer, Aaron Earls, and Christina Darnell. A special thanks to Lifeway Research for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.